On today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand, I got the chance to chat with Joe Valley, the author of the Exitpreneur's Playbook. Oh man, we had an awesome conversation all about buying and selling businesses. Joe is one of the partners over at QuietLight. And if you guys are in any of the M&A world, you probably know about QuietLight uh, in the e-com space. Really awesome conversation. I learned a ton from this and I'm sure that Joe and I are going to stay connected for a long time. You guys are going to love this one. Hey guys. Before we begin, I want to talk to you about how to grow your e-commerce brand in a post-iOS 14.5 world. If you're doing over seven figures in D to C, you need to hear this. Back when Facebook ads were absolutely crushing it and driving massive amounts of revenue, setting up basic flows and sending out occasional email campaigns used to cut it, SMS marketing included, you'd see it constantly and so would we when we were looking at accounts at Mindful Marketing. Brands earning 20 to 45% of their total revenue with email marketing with maybe three to four hours of work a month. And that's because they just set up some basic flows and then silence. But now that the Facebook algorithm has stopped spitting out such ridiculous returns, where do we go? Retention. But it requires marketers to go deeper than simple templated flows and copy and pasted campaigns, which we've seen all the time. It requires actually having a system that increases the LTV of your customers and then actually realizing that entire customer lifetime value in a shorter period of time. And hopefully even considering a higher LTV. We're saddened to see brands do all the same things with their emails and SMS, and we're sick of auditing agency accounts who simply set up welcome flows and show off how many sales they make. Anyone can set up a welcome flow, abandoned cart flow, etc. That is the simple stuff, guys. The real key in retention marketing is digging deep into your market, copy, offer, your creative, and then pairing that with a strategy that turns one-time buyers into two-time buyers, into three-time buyers, and on and on, just like we've seen at our brands. So if you want to find out exactly Exactly how deep our retention marketing strategy goes, book a quick wins call with our team and we will show you exactly how we drive more repeat sales for our clients and hopefully how you can too. Go to mindfulmarketing.co slash quick wins. That's mindfulmarketing.co slash quick wins, all one word. Now on to today's episode. When you look at your Google Analytics account, how much of your traffic is direct? How about organic? Is it 10%, 20%, 50% or more? Honestly, for our brands, it's probably closer to 60%. And we all know that those aren't actual real attribution channels, and yet they get all of this credit. At some point in the past, your customer saw an ad, or they tried your product on with a friend, or maybe they read about it online. The problem, your analytics platform operates in a vacuum, and it can't track some of those high-value behaviors that are actually leading to purchases. Enter No Commerce, the platform that hundreds of top-tier brands like Pura Vida, Olipop, and Kizik rely on to better understand how their customers are finding them. No Commerce allows you to deploy surveys to your confirmation screen in minutes, helping you answer critical questions like, but not limited to, how did you first hear about us? What brought you to our site today? And how long did you know about us before making your first purchase. I love that one. That is an absolute gold mine of information, that question right there. Combined, these questions give you a further picture of attribution that includes all of those hard-to-track channels like word of mouth while cutting through all that direct traffic noise. With average response rates above 50%, and I gotta say for ours, it's more like 75%, and pre-built templates that can be deployed in literally minutes, you'll be collecting this incredible insight in absolutely no time. Like I've said, with our brands, this has been a game changer. This has helped me make decisions on a massive scale that I normally wouldn't be able to make with just click 
based attribution tracking. It's incredible. Are you ready to boost your attribution? If so, go get the free plan over at nocommerce.com. That's K-N-O commerce.com and please tell them that Jordan sent you. Now on to today's episode. Hey guys, Jordan West back with another episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand. I have already had a 12-minute discussion with our guest today and that always spells a great episode. Uh feel like we are already clicking here and I just had to press record and get this thing down. So without further delay, introducing Joe Valley, who is the author of the Exitpreneur's Playbook. Joe, welcome to Secrets to Scaling Your e commerce brand. Good to be here. Well done on the introduction of the proper pronunciation of the title of the book. You know, Joe, I'm going to tell you in whatever 300 episodes that we've had on this podcast, I have gotten so many names wrong of people and I just, I don't try. So this is really a big time me actually getting, uh, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, name right. (laughs) Quick story. Don't let me go on too many tangents. So I put the name, a couple of titles out to uh, some friends of mine in the space in the e-commerce world. And I said, I've got two titles. What do you like? One was Incredible Exits and the other was Exitpreneur. Nine out of 10 of them chose Incredible Exits and like a jackass, I chose Exitpreneur. And every time somebody announces it, they stumble over the words because it's a new creation and new words, not entrepreneur, it's Exitpreneur. You, on the other hand, just did it magically. It was beautiful. Well done. You know, I do uh, uh, hard things well sometimes uh, and not easy things well. So Joe, for people who know absolutely nothing about you or what you do, can you tell our audience just a little bit about uh, some of your backstory, where you came upon Exitpreneur, and just just give us a little bit of context. Absolutely. So I've been self-employed since 1997. I've built, bought, sold uh, a half a dozen of my own businesses. And it's really more than that because I don't count some of the startups and failures that I had in my college and brief post-college years. I sold my last e-commerce business through a company called Quiet Light. Quiet Light Brokerage. In 2010, I took 2011 off and then I joined the Quiet Light team in 2012. There were four of us at the time. And uh, in 2013, I closed 23 transactions as an advisor, ended up doing 65, 70% of the total transactions for Quiet Light and just needed to become a partner. So over the years, I kept making myself invaluable and cut a deal with Mark, the original founder, who was the first person I talked to as a client. And he and I have been partners since 2017, I believe. And we've grown kind of substantially since then. We'll close about a quarter of a billion in transactions this year. We've got 15 advisors and two more joining us in Q1 of 2022. Wow. I've had about 8,000 one-on-one conversations with entrepreneurs over the last decade, uh, most of them e-commerce entrepreneurs. And I kept repeating the same thing over and over again. And it's still not absorbable because it's in a short half hour, 45 minute conversation. So a couple of years ago, I embarked on writing a book called The Exitpreneur's Playbook or Incredible Exits for those that stumbled over the bigger word. It just flows so much better, doesn't it? Incredible Exits. It really, do? it really does, Joe. <laughs> it really does. It really does. I love remembering mistakes. Uh, it it yeah, always it helps it you go forward. I, I got so many. But uh, the book... I felt needed to be written because there's so much misinformation out there. And then with what good information out there, it's not all in one place. And so I I wrote the book talking about some of my own personal successes and failures, some incredible exits that clients had. And of course, I changed names for the most part. And then some epic failures that uh, some had, and I absolutely changed their names. But I go through the entire process of what everybody needs to know 
to eventually exit their business for maximum value, whether that's on their own or through an advisor or whatever they want to do. The material's there and should help them with uh, the information that they need every step along the way. And uh, they don't have to absorb it all at once now. They can just go keep referring back to it, which is great. Well, Joe, let's let's take a peek a little bit in inside of your brain and inside of what you've learned uh, as far as exits are concerned. As our audience knows, um, we've acquired multiple brands this last year and we're continually in talks. And I'll tell you, I probably don't know half the things that are in your book because it's just been from, you know, taking a little bit of knowledge here, a little bit of knowledge there, looking at these brands thinking, oh, is this a good price to pay? I guess so. I don't know. You know, yeah. and really just just kind of making my way through it. And I think that's probably how most people learn in the space, right? What I would love to do is is take this as a bit of a consulting session on the other side and starting to think about exits. I, I'd love to know some of the pitfalls uh, to look out for as somebody trying to exit a company. Sure. So there's really five critical steps that you got to follow and take care of. And the first is something that should be rather obvious, but I guess, I don't know you that well, Jordan, but I'm going to guess that you don't have them written down. And that's goals. Most people actually don't do it. And we all know how important they are. Call me out. Am I right or wrong? You, uh, you unfortunately are wrong on this one, Joe. I yes, do write down all of that stuff. Yes. Yes. It's the one thing that I'm good at. That's great. Most people don't do it. And I mean, studies show that you're like going to be 42% more successful if you just write down your goals and revisit them every day. But the key thing for me and the differentiator, dif difference maker is the feelings part of it. So I talk about setting goals in terms of exits, you know, that have dollars, dates, and feelings. So an example would be, I want to, or I will sell my business for $5 million in Q1 of 2023. And when I do, I will feel unburdened because I'm out of debt. My kid's college is paid for and I get to spend more time with my family. It's those feelings goals, I think, that make a huge difference when you end up having the bad days and weeks and months and sometimes years that we all have as entrepreneurs. Got to yeah. have that part of it written down and you got to revisit it on a regular basis. I love the idea of putting the feelings in there too, because it, it does connect your you know your brain with your heart and your emotions and all of those, those sort of feelings so that you actually know what that's like, right? I think as entrepreneurs, we're like often living up in our heads, right? Maybe the one exception would be anxiety, right? The constant anxiety of like, <laughs> oh, is this is this going to work out? Am I going to go bankrupt tomorrow? You know, even though everything looks good, I think that's that's it. Let's move on to number two, Joe. Yeah. So number two is really reverse engineering a path to those goals. So if you've set an exit goal of $5 million, and you can add or subtract zeros, folks, for whatever suits your needs. But if you set a goal of exiting at $5 million, you need to know how close or how far you are to that goal. And the only way to know that is to truly understand what valuations are based on. It's a multiple of seller's discretionary earnings, by the way. How to calculate seller's discretionary earnings. It's net income plus addbacks. What the hell is an addback? There's three different levels. Levels of addbacks that I talk to, and under each level, there's 18. There's a, there's six different levels for a total of 18. And this is where most people lose their shirt as when they're selling their business. It's a great opportunity for buyers when you're buying directly from someone that really doesn't know their stuff. They'll sell their business without doing a proper addback schedule. Example: I was at a uh, a boot camp for eight figure sellers three or four weeks ago out in Palm Springs and uh, sitting around sort of having a fireside chat with a guy named Kevin. Kevin runs an eight-figure business that's doing enormous numbers, like $50 million in revenue. And he had an offer for his business and he wanted to just run it by me. And we're talking about his preparation, his P&L and ad backs and things of that nature. And I just said to him, I said, did you join the ad back for cash back monies? He goes, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you get cash back money, right? He goes, yeah, I get like $50,000 a month in cash back money. It's awesome. It's not on my P&L though. Like from his credit card. Yes. 
Okay, yeah. like yes. points. Cashback money from what? credit card purchases. Yeah, or you can get gotcha. reward points from you know American Express and so on and so forth and convert them to cash. What Kevin did was credit card stacking so that they would use one credit card up to a certain level. And then when they hit that 150,000 points max on Amex, they'd switch to another one and so on and so forth. Yeah. Average it out to about $50,000 a month in cash back, $600,000 a year. The offer that Kevin had on the table was a 10 time multiple for his business. So that's $6 million. $6 million. <laughs> yeah, that he made in that fireside chat because he didn't do an ad schedule for his cash back money because he didn't know he could, number one. Number two, it wasn't even on his P&L. So you got to move that over to your P&L. After you export it from QuickBooks or Zero. you don't have your bookkeeper do it inside of QuickBooks or Zero. you do it after the fact, unless it's already in there, which in some cases, good bookkeepers do that. So reverse engineering the pathway to that Sorry, goal. Joe, I don't know if you, you saw, I was uh, my, my mind was blown there for a second thinking <laughs> about that as an ad back. You can tell I'm obviously... Uh, a little bit more on the the beginner side of all this. Okay. Talk to me. Uh, what's the next thing to start looking out for when you're selling your business? Let's take a quick break. Hey guys, just a quick note from me. You know, if the beginning of this year has been absolutely brutal for ads, you are not alone. There's a lot of people out there that are absolutely struggling. Now, we have not been seeing nearly the carnage that a lot of you out there have been seeing at App Growth Commerce. And so I put together this master document. It took me hours upon hours to put together for you guys. And I want to give it to you guys for absolutely free. And so this walks through the three big fixes that we're seeing to fix your Facebook ad account. In 2024. And I really do think that this is the way, again, we're not seeing those issues barely at all in any of the accounts. And we handle a lot of accounts between the brands that I own, between everyone else that we work with at App Growth Commerce. We're just not seeing those same issues that a lot of people are seeing. And so I've identified these three huge buckets and I've got a master document that walks through all of that. So if you guys want to go to www.appgrowthcommerce.com slash ad problems. That's upgrowthcommerce.com slash ad problems and download the resource from there. I think that you guys are going to get a ton from this document and hopefully be able to turn your ad account around. Now, remember, if this is not an issue for you, that's totally okay. (laughs) But if you are having issues with your ad account in 2024, I highly recommend going and downloading that resource again, upgrowthcommerce.com slash ad problems. Now back to today's episode. Well, there's a lot more on the ad back stuff that you got to dig into. You've really got to get that calculation right. And one key differentiator when you're selling your business, one additional thing before we go to number three, is understanding that you're selling the business as a multiple of discretionary earnings. And for e-commerce business owners, the inventory is always sold separately, or at least it's always listed separately uh, with the exception of one situation and one brokerage firm that's website closers. They include it in the purchase price. It has the effect of making their listing multiples look higher. That's not their intention, Mm -hmm. but that's what it looks like. At the end of the day, you're still paying for that inventory. Everybody else in this world lists it as a multiple of discretionary earnings plus the landed cost of goods sellable inventory on hand at the time of closing. I just want to throw one more thing out there to you in terms of ad backs, because I think this is so critical in number two. And that is if you as a business owner renegotiate cost of goods sold halfway through the year, you get to do an ad back for that. So if you renegotiated just a two bucks off 
the cost of goods sold and you sell a thousand units a month, that's you're saving $2,000 a month. And you've done that for the last six months and you think, okay, that's great. I've made an extra $12,000 in the last six months and cool. Look at this, Mr. Buyer. I, you know, renegotiate cost of goods sold. It's carry foreign to you, but you can do an ad back for that. You go back to the first six months, you take the total number of units sold times the decrease that you now have because that carries forward and you do an adjustment mm. in your exported P&L below the net income line. Mm. And then, yeah. you know, I've done this and I did it for a company called Colorate and we talk about it on the podcasts and I had him on mine and I was on his and so on and so forth. It, it added $54,000 to the list price of the business, Jordan. And as a buyer, this is one thing that you always want to look for and always ask, have your cogs gone up or down in the last 12 months? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that if especially gone, right now, I mean that's that's incredibly relevant right now. Incredibly relevant right now. You know when the tariffs went up temporarily, yeah, yeah. right? Everybody kind of felt yeah, it's temporary. Trump's just, Trump's just huffing and puffing, and then they came down. Now when you talk to experts, I just had a call with Novaland a little while ago, and they're saying, you know, I'm not sure if they're going to come back down. If the shipping container costs are going to come back down, and if they do, how much they're going to come back down? So some of these expenses will continue to carry forward. So if your cost, if you're buying a business and your cogs have gone up, let's assume it's not relevant to now, but if your cogs went up by $2 units in the last two months, you as a buyer can say, well, look, man, that's a carry forward expense. I need to go to the last 12, uh, 10 months and make an adjustment to your P&L and adjust your discretionary earnings down. So keep that in mind as a buyer. It's chapter 11, I think, of the experience playbook. So on to number three. First is uh, one is set goals. Two is reverse engineer path to those goals by understanding calculations of discretionary earnings and, and multiples so that you can firm up your current value. You get pretty close with the details in the book. Then you can get closer by looking at different uh, brokerage firms' listings and what they have listing businesses at. And then of course, you get 95% of the way there if you have a conversation with an actual advisor. But now you want to shift your mindset. You want to shift your mindset from an entrepreneur to an exitpreneur. Because the fact is that the majority of all the money you're ever going to make from your business is going to come the day that you sell it. You have so much money tied up into working capital with inventory and growth capital, things of that nature, that most people that are running a business for 24, 36 months from bootstrap to exit don't make any money in the first 24 to 36 months. If they do, it's nominal. They're making most of their dough on the exit. So you've got to shift your mindset from that of an entrepreneur grinding it out every day, like we all have for many years, to an exitpreneur going, I'm building this to exit because that's where I'm going to make most of my money. And when I'm done, this is how I'm going to feel. This is how much money I'm going to have. And then you're going to move on to your next adventure. And that may just be another e-commerce business that you could shorten the cycle from zero to a million bucks in revenue or two or three or five or 10 because you know so much more. So just shifting your mindset to that of an entrepreneur. Number four would be learning about deal structures. And this is really good for buyers as well. It's chapter 13 or 14. I can't remember. This I guess, is like I, the one thing I feel like I'm good at. Understanding deal structures. <laughs> In buying, <laughs> it's just very creative deal structures. But I, again, probably Joe. I'm actually, I, I, I kind of regret saying that because I probably don't, I still don't know good deal structures. So you know what, the secret, and I have the feeling you've got this nailed. The secret to getting what you want as a buyer is just not being an asshole. Simple as that. <laughs> yeah. Right. So if you work complimentary, if you're kind, if you're professional, and you just try to do what's fair, buyers will give you a seller note and earn out. I'm sorry, sellers will give you a, a seller note and earn out and things of that nature if you're just kind of looking out for them, even though you, you, you're not going to give them all cash at closing. I've been in situations where I've had an all cash 
offer for 2.3 million, close in 30 days, or an full and these were full price 2.3 million dollar SBA buyer that required mm-hmm. a 10% seller note on standby for two years with a five year repayment period. So the guy's not going to mm-hmm. get his money for seven years altogether. Uh, yeah, and it was going to take 60 to 75 days to close. The seller, a guy named Syed Balki, he chose he runs Opt In Monster if you've heard of it. He chose the oh, yeah. SBA buyer because the SBA buyer was just kind and professional. He actually went to his college and they had some things in common. But he really wanted to take care of his people. He wanted to make yeah. sure Syed's people would transfer with the business, had job opportunities, and, and take care of them like Syed did. And so in this situation, somebody chose the l- l- less attractive offer. So just don't be yeah. a just don't be the a, less a attractive fi- financial offer, right? I think that's one uh, yes. of the things that people don't don't really realize. You know, when they're thinking about buying and selling as well, is like there's just so much more that goes into it, right? If it was just money, we probably would make different decisions, like in life in general, right? Yeah. One of the things that I that I do when I go into a conversation, I truly, truly believe this. I'm a huge Seven Habits of Highly Effective People fan. Uh, and win-win to me is that was kind of the 2020 habit for me. And really, truly understanding win-win and trying to understand like, Joe, what do you need? Tell me what you need. What does your ideal world look like? That's and then I'll right. tell you what my ideal world looks like. And then let's see if we can somehow marry them together. That's a brilliant approach. It's honest. It's open. You're saying, look, I want to make this work for both of us. And you're engaging conversation. You know, we had, uh, we, I had an offer from my business recently, Quiet and uh, we're, we're not interested in selling, but somebody approached us. We had a conversation. We had another conversation. And then we're like, just get to the offer already, man. We're just curious to what you're talking about. And then he starts to tell us why the business isn't going to be worth as much as we think it is. And we we're like, yeah, whatever. Go away. We don't, we don't ever <laughs> yeah, want totally. to die. <laughs> Leave us alone. Don't start with that, folks, as a buyer. You just, you know, try to do exactly what Jordan just said. So learning about the different deal structures is, is critical, especially as a seller. Example, I was on a call recently with somebody that owns an agency in the Amazon space, and he's got an offer from uh, an aggregator to buy their business because that a- a- aggregator needs more agency people under their wing. Plus they get access yeah. to all that agency's clients, which is really the secret sauce there. And and this particular person showed me the LOI, and inside of it, it said uh, something about it working. A working capital will be figured out during the due diligence period. You're working. Are you familiar with the working capital peg? Mm-hmm. Do you yep. ever get working capital I just, pegs? Just in a deal that we squashed at the last minute, had that had a very similar conversation with them yeah. all about this. So something you were selling and the buyer wanted to include a working capital peg, or the no, reverse? something we were we were buying and the uh, the broker had added in, and I was not familiar with it at all. So the broker was the one doing the contract. It was a very weird deal. We ended up walking away from it. There was just too many red flags for us with the the way that the broker was working with us, and it was kind of like they were almost working on both sides of the deal. This was an agent deal that we but we just about we were five days away yeah and ended up pulling the pins so well for those that don't know what a working capital peg is it's something that's been created years and years ago by the private equity world that basically says I'm gonna buy your business for a million bucks but I'm gonna figure out what it's gonna cost to run for the first two or three months in due diligence and then whatever that amount is that's the working capital peg and we're gonna deduct that from your purchase price yeah because I don't want to buy your business for a million dollars and then have to come to the table with another three hundred thousand 
thousand just to survive the first three months. Well, in this world, in this small to medium marketplace in the online world, sub twenty five million, call it right. There are sure. no working capital pegs, not not at least yeah. through Quiet Light. So in this particular situation, this uh, agency owner. Uh, had a LOI in front of him. It was awful in many ways, but it had a working capital peg in there. And as frustrating as it was for me, Jordan, he had a copy of my book. It was on his shelf. He didn't read it. <laughs> he, put, he, he, he didn't put together an ad back schedule and he presented his P&L to these folks and got an LOI and I had to go back hat in hand and change everything. He probably had an extra three hundred thousand dollars, you know, by the end of that LOI. Yeah, because because yeah. they're just doing things like that and that understanding deal structures. The last and most critical thing to do when you're selling your business is creating competition. In this world that we live in, there are more buyers than sellers right now. Okay. So if you get approached by someone to buy your business, if they're a strategic buyer, they need to be offering an extremely high multiple. If they're anybody else and they're just saying, hey man, we love your brand. We're rolling them up in the D2C space and we think your brand would be a good fit. This is how we pay. We close in 30 days, avoid the broker fee. What they're really trying to do is get an ignorance discount from you because you don't understand how to calculate discretionary earnings and you know, proper ad back schedule, but they're not wanting you to go to market with a business because when you go to market with a business, there are going to be multiple buyers looking at it. And if it's priced properly, it's going to sell at or over asking price. Year to date, 2021, Quiet Lights had an average of four and a half offers on every single listing. 62% of them have sold at or over asking price. And it's not because we price them too low, Jordan. It's because we price them right and create competition. And that competition drives up not only the purchase price, but also gets the seller a better deal structure. Example in this situation, uh, there's a woman that doesn't live too far from me he, here in North Carolina. She's over in Concord, I'm in Davidson. And she bought an Amazon brand in the gaming space for uh, seven figures, I got to say. And she did it with an SBA loan about a year and a half ago, pre, pre-pandemic. Pandemic yeah. hit and all she made sure she didn't do was run out of inventory. The previous owner constantly ran out of inventory, constantly yeah. just couldn't sell, right? So she just ordered a bunch, container after container after container, never ran out of inventory, revenue exploded. And an aggregator reached out to her and said, hey, look, we love your business. This is what we do. This is the offer that we can make you. This is the deal structure. And then of course she shared the P&L and they offered her $2.2 million, $400,000 in inventory, total value 2.6. said, look, this is what we do. We know this space. Here's what's wrong with your business. 70% of your revenue conference comes from one SKU. And on top of that, You've got pandemic growth like crazy, and that's a lot of risk. So 2.6 is the best you're going to get. This is what we do. We will close. We always close on every deal we work with unless your number's completely wrong. And she's yeah. wait a minute. Wait a minute. That, I don't know. I, I, I listened to the Quiet podcast. I listened to Jordan's podcast. I'm going to talk to somebody. So she connected with one of our advisors, Chuck. He ended up selling it for $5.5 million, had seven offers from aggregators. One of the offers was from that aggregator. They didn't come to 5.5, but they went way over 2.5. And she sold it for twice as much than this expert said that it's worth because there was no competition. So whether you're selling through an advisor or on your own, you got to create some kind of competition amongst buyers so that they know politely and professionally that there's other folks that are looking at the business. And this is kind of the deadline time range that I'm looking for feedback and an offer on. Otherwise, they're just going to try to beat you up and tear you down and maybe not make you the best offer. 
Joe, I'm looking to do two exits in the next couple of years uh, on two of our brands. Mm -hmm. Just humor me for a second. I'd be way too scared to come to a broker in the past. It was actually the reason that I took this podcast interview was I was just so interested. I was like, oh, I've totally like, I've looked at lots of your listings at Quiet Light. I was really interested in what you guys do, but I'm honestly a little bit terrified to go and talk to a broker. I think that there's all sorts of like weird things in my mind that have been built up. What is that process like? Like, should I actually be scared to talk to you? <laughs> no, but that's the reality, right? And that, that's why I wrote the book because there's so many people that don't want to have a talk with an advisor. They want to learn something on their own before they actually have that conversation. So that's yeah. the stopgap there. But the conversation, let me tell you how my conversation was, you know, my own personal experience back in 2010. So there were only three online business brokers that I could find back in 2010. Two that I won't name. I think one of them's still in business, the other's not, and then Quiet Light. The two that I spoke to that I won't name, uh, were people that you're fearful of talking to. They were brokers slash salespeople that were just trying to get their hooks into me for a commission. I could almost feel them reaching through the phone. I hated it. I'm like, this is not good. They're over-promising, under-delivering. They're just trying to get me to sign an engagement letter. I'm out of here. The third conversation that I had with Mark started with, tell me about your business. I need to learn as much as I can about it. Give you some ideas, maybe a broad value range. Talk about how this works. Answer any questions for you. But then I need to share the P&L. I had to send in my P&L afterwards and he'd go through the ad back schedule and really firm up my discretionary earnings and then have a second call. And on that second call, he said, you know, asked a lot of questions about the P&L. We firmed up the discretionary earnings. He said, you know, based upon the last three or four months, remember this was spring of 2010, it looks like if you wait another six months, you're going to make another $100,000. So if I were in your shoes, Joe, I'd probably wait. Just wait six months. You're going to make more money along the way and you're going to exit for an extra six figures. And I paused. I'm thinking, who the hell is this guy telling me to go away? Yeah. So that's what you should expect when you have a conversation with a good advisor that has your best interest in mind. Because when they have your best interest in mind, in the long run, it actually helps them more as well. So the conversation would be learning about the business, strengths, weaknesses, when did you start it? What are the trends like? Risk, growth, transferability, documentation. Those are the four pillars that buyers are always looking for, right? So the valuations are 10% math and 90% art in my view. That 10% math is a multiple range times your discretionary earnings. But where you fall in that multiple range, whether it's 2.5 or 4.5, depends upon your risk, your growth, your transferability, and your documentation. And then kind of a fifth pillar that holds all the mortar that holds all those bricks together. And that's the person, the owner of the business. Mm. You know, am I having a conversation with somebody that's going to be likable and trusted by potential buyers? Or does he say things and make me feel like he's lying? Because if it's the the latter, I'm probably not going to take your listing on. It's incredible how much trust is such a massive portion of all of this, hey? Like, it's, it's so like much the one it. thing, like, it's like, I don't think robots are ever going to be able to do this, you know, like <laughs> build that trust. <laughs> yeah. And that's why, you know, marketplaces where you just log in and make an offer, those are generally lower value transactions. Mm-hmm. I think the average transaction. I did do one of those this year too, Joe. You what? And you bought a, one of those? I did do one of those. This I bought one one from, from there this year and got an uh, awesome deal uh, on our side. And I kind of wish I could go back to the seller and let him know like, ah, you could have gotten so much more for this business. <laughs> yeah. I, but I gave him what he wanted. So that's where I feel good about that, right? Is that like, I, whatever you want, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think um, if I was a buyer, there's an advantage to buying from a good quality brokerage firm or advisory firm or M&A firm or whatever label you want to put on them. And that is that they're going to do all of the work for you. 
They're going to ask every question you have as a potential buyer, and they're going to get it answered in writing. They're going to present you with a professional P&L with a monthly view, no quarterly, no annual. It's going to be monthly. Yeah. And then also quarterly and annual, but monthly. So you can see the current trends and year-over-year trends. And then they're going to act as the middleman. It's their job to represent you as the seller, but also help the buyer as much as possible. Because in this world, buyers are generally not represented as you know as a buyer yourself. When you have all of that, the businesses are usually listed at more than on a marketplace where it's just yeah. you know pick and click and make an offer. Yeah. So if you're buying a business, if you want to take lo- less risk, maybe use a good quality advisory firm to find your business. Yeah. If you're looking for a deal and you're not afraid to you know plug holes and put out fires, maybe a marketplace because generally if people are you know. Uh, selling on marketplace. I want to let everyone know I'm not going to buy from a marketplace again. That we made some big mistakes on this one. Really? Oh yeah, comparatively to the other ones that we've been doing this year, that was my worst one. So I just want everyone to uh, to understand that there were so many things that we didn't know because of no documentation on the other side. Right? Uh, they didn't lie about anything, but it was just like we really made some errors in it. Got a great deal with that, but didn't realize the amount of work that the sellers were actually doing. Yeah, there's in, a whole the document t- t- it, it, as part of what I go over in the book. And what I talk about on you know eight thousand calls, and what our entire team talks about is is those four we'll call them pillars. These are what buyers are looking for. That documentation is the the most critical one because if you don't have the simple documentation of a profit and loss statement exported from QuickBooks or Zero in accrual format, then I can't do a accurate and easy adbex schedule. Adbex schedule is generally not easy, but it's going to be really hard to get it fully accurate. You know, yeah. we can sometimes convert it from cash to accrual with you know, yeah. cost of goods sold and beginning inventory and inventory in a particular formula. If you're a buyer, if you if you're buying a business from somebody that's running a cash accounting and the business is growing like crazy, buy it because when you flip it to accrual, their discretionary earnings is going to go way up and you've got a ton of instant equity. But it's yeah. there's a we risk there. That. There's a real risk there. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, marketplaces are interesting. People are going to do it different ways. Sometimes there's not one way or that's it. There are different ways to uh, to make purchases that are successful for sure. Absolutely. Joe, uh, sorry, another another question for you before we kind of get start to, to wrap this up here. So when does somebody come talk to you? At what stage in the cycle are they talking to you? Are they, t- say they've got a three-year plan, are they coming to you at that beginning of the three years? Or are they coming six months before they want to sell? When, when makes sense to start talking to a brokerage firm? Great question. There's no single answer, unfortunately. You know, when you're starting your first business, people say you don't. You should always have the the end in mind when you launch your business. It's a bunch of bull. If it's your first business, all you're doing is trying to keep the wheels on the bus and you're trying to stay profitable, right? Keep cash in the bank. <laughs> Focus on that. But once you've got a business that's up and running and you see that it's got legs and it's growing, um, then it's time to think about that exit goal, reverse engineering path to it and try to give ideally 12 months, have a conversation 12 months before you want to exit. We've the, 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 the quickest exit I've ever made happen from the discovery call to listing the business has been 10 days. Okay. Wow. But it, that's a situation where it's a divorce clean P&Ls, easy. Everybody's focused on getting the deal done. Yeah. But generally a year, I think is great because then you can get some advice, not just on the P&Ls, but also the weaknesses and strengths of the business. Those four pillars, right? That sway that multiple so much. There's no commitment. That's the, the beautiful thing about it. There's no engagement letter here. We're going to list your business in a year, sign this engagement letter. That's ridiculous. I have a I have an advisor. I have a business coach. His name is Walter. He's actually Uncle Walter to me because he's my uncle-in-law. Uncle oh, Walter awesome. consulted with me when I decided to 
become a partner at Quiet Light. And I explained the business model to him, which is, Walter, we just put everything up online. We have conversations. We do AMAs. We do podcasts. We help as many people understand the value of their business as much as we can. And then when they're ready to list their business, hopefully they've gained enough confidence and they choose us. He said, well, Joe, that sounds like you're giving everything away for free on a hope and prayer that they'll choose you and you'll earn money. I'm like, exactly, Walter. There's no talking anybody into anybody. Nobody's a salesperson. Everybody has built, bought, or sold their own online business. In most cases, all three, Jordan. These are mm. people that are Shark Tank alumni. Pat was on Shark Tank, currently has a deal with Robert. Brad rolled up 30 content sites, sold it to a private equity firm. Amanda was on the cover of Time Magazine for the her pearl importing business. These are real successful entrepreneurs wow. turned advisors. They're not salespeople. Yeah. They're here to help first yeah. and foremost. I really like that. Joe, I got to ask you the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. What is your secret to scaling? It used to be make as much money as possible. Okay. When I was younger, all I thought about was making as much money as possible. And that meant scaling, whatever it was. Now, older, wiser, a little bit of gray on the chin. It's help as many people as possible. Okay. It's not about selling anything. It's how many people can I reach? How many people can I connect with and educate and help and make a difference in their lives? Whether it's like the call I had yesterday from a prior client of mine who's become a good friend over the years. He had a goal to sell his second company that he runs now for $100 million. Well, he's having kind of a rough time. And he said, look, man, I'm 18 million in revenue last year. We're breaking even because of you know supply chain issues and all that. I, I want to move on. I'm like, okay, let me see if I can make some intros and just get out of the way. I'm helping him. I'm not listing his business because he's not profitable. We only list profitable businesses, but I'm making some intros to help. That will come back around to me. When I was 29, I wouldn't have thought that way. Yeah. Much older, yeah. gray in the chin. That's the way I think now. I think that's the secret to scaling is finding a way to help as many people as possible. Even if you're selling grilling aprons, give them the best damn grilling recipes for free, make a difference in their lives. And they'll talk about you know that product or service that you're providing and tell everybody about it and they'll help you grow your business. Mm. Well, great advice, Joe. I really appreciate that. I got three more questions for you here, Joe. I hope you are ready. Favorite tool or app that you're using right now? Google Forms. Okay. This is, this is not a real exciting Google one Forms. for me, folks. Awesome. No one's ever said that. Google Forms. It's because I spent three hours on it this morning. Yes. And it, i tell you why. <laughs> Speaking out loud, you may have to edit this, but any idea when this will uh, air? Uh, I think January, most Great. likely. So I'm going to create a Google form for you and for the audience where they can get a free copy of the Exapreneur's Playbook, either the Kindle version, if they're international or US, or paperback if they're in the US. I don't care if you get a Amazing. thousand listeners that get it, but I'm going to be able, I'm going to do that. So that's what I was doing in Google Forms this morning. So not very Amazing. technically Amazing. savvy. So guys, we will have that in the show notes when I get that link from, from Joe. So awesome. That's great. Uh, second question for you. Favorite podcast or audio book that you're listening to right now? I just listened to Good to Great. Second time, mm. actually. I listened to it years ago, but Good to Great. I can't tell you who That's the great. author That's is. That's great. That's funny. I'm actually, know. I'm physically reading that one for the second time right now. And uh, things just don't go as fast when I physically read, so... Oh, not at all. Not at all. I actually, the last one I read was Atomic Habits and I listened oh. to it and I kept trying to read it as I was listening, but I never sit still. So it was kind of hard to do. If you haven't and our listeners haven't, go on, I believe it's jamesclear.com and sign up for his Thursday newsletter. It is just profound. Every single time I'm like, where does he get this stuff from? It's probably my favorite newsletter that comes in my inbox right now. And he's the author just of Atomic awesome. Habits, yes? And James Clear, yes, is the, I should know the author. This. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Awesome. Last question for you. If you could sit down with anybody for an hour, they have to be alive. You can have some coffee, tea, beer, wine. Who 
would it be? They have to be alive. Anybody alive? Um, coffee. <laughs> that is, you've got me stumped here. You know, I'm trying to come up with a really uh, incredible answer for you, Jordan, but I don't think I have one. I, you know, I got some things on my mind. So it, this is supposed to be a reach thing, but I have people around me that I, I get all the advice that I want. All you have to do is ask your friends. We're all surrounded by pretty incredible people in this world that we live in. And you don't have to reach for Gary Vee or Zuckerberg or anybody like that. So I'm just going to have, let's play nine, rules, uh, nine rounds of golf with Uncle Walter while having a beer or two on the links. And uh, I'll talk with him for an hour. Joe, awesome answer. Now, for people who are interested in, in what you were talking about, where can they connect uh, with you and with Quiet Light? Uh, they can go to quietlight.com. Take a look at our business, our listings, learn a few things here and there, listen to the podcast as well, or go to exitpreneur.io and get some free chapters of the book if you're not ready to buy it. But of course, by the time this airs, you can get the entire book for free with the uh, show notes link there. Uh, And you can always reach out to me at joe at quietlight.com as well. Joe, this was really, really great. I felt like we had, I, I kind of took off my my podcast host uh, self for a little bit uh, and was super interested in what we were talking about from an actual uh, entrepreneur who is buying and selling right now. And I felt like I actually learned a lot from you. So thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Hey guys, we hope you really enjoyed today's episode. Can we ask you a favor? Hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode and share this with your e-commerce store owner friends. We also love reviews. So if you could leave us one on Apple podcasts, that would mean so much to us. Just a reminder from the beginning of the episode, our team at mindful marketing is rapidly growing and we have room for one new brand a month. That's looking to grow. Now, before you apply, please note that we're only looking for businesses that are ready to scale and have the capacity and the inventory for a large influx of orders. This opportunity is only available to brands that have had at least one year of sales history and are ready for explosive growth. If this sounds like you, go to mindfulmarketing.co slash apply and start the process today. I hope you guys have a great week.